0: People who have a lot of money, who go with guides and outfitters, like you said, want someone to basically hold their hand, oh, there he is. They're circumventing the work. They're cutting around the work that is truly what a hunt is about. At least for me, at least for us, at least for most of people that follow us, and a lot of people that I talk to at trade shows, wherever we are when we're talking, they feel disconnected. When you're watching a show. TV and it's one after another, after another, after another. Most people, including myself, we see these television shows and we go, I can't do that. I'll say, I mean, it's one of my favorite secrets, but um, you know, people want to watch and they want to learn something, this is mine. Hunt Ladder part of November. You're not going to see the number of deer crews, you're not going to see the two and three year olds, who cares? Right. You know, you're going to see some giants. In the last three years, mm-hmm. I mean, we've we put down some really, really big deer on that latter part of November. And we don't see the number of deer cruising, but when we see a deer, a buck, he's normally a big mature deer. So here's the thing, a lot of people associate, and you'll hear it even to this day, you'll read it in books, you'll read it in magazines. People swear that you know midday, when you leave the woods, when hunters leave the woods, these big deer, they're so intelligent, they just know, okay, it's safe to move now. I don't believe it.
1: Hey guys, welcome to Throwback Thursdays. I've gone through my library and started picking out some of the most popular podcasts over the last 12, 14 years or whatever how long it's been. I've forgotten now uh, that I've been doing this and um, we've re-edited them and put them out there for you guys to to check out. Uh, A lot of good information there. So forgive me, some of them might be a little bit poorer quality, you know, depending on when it was recorded. But uh, Throwback Thursday is brought to you by howlforwildlife.org. Howl for Wildlife was designed to give the hunter and angler a fast acting tool to combat anti-hunting and fishing bills and initiatives. Howl has given us sportsmen and women not only the ability to act fast, but to amplify our voices and and to be heard on issues concerning wildlife management. HAL supports science-based wildlife management and will continue to fight any initiative that goes against sound management. So become a member at org. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. We're going to be talking a little bit about Western Whitetail and a little bit about elk hunting. And I got a couple guys on that have uh, been, getting, been getting it done and... Well, Steve, you've been doing it for about 27 years now on elk.
0: Yeah, elk. pushing him.
2: that pushing that 27 year mark on the elk. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, and uh, and Brant just uh, shot probably uh, well, not one of the biggest, but a damn big ass buck uh, last year, and uh, it's definitely his biggest buck. And and uh, I'm excited to to hear about the story. And I saw a little bit of the video. But uh, before we roll into that, why don't you give us a little rundown about yourselves? Go ahead, Brent.
0: All right. So I moved to Colorado when I was nine years old. My grandfather, my brother-in-law, my dad, we all kind of got into hunting and Pretty much took it running from there. Um, it was something that consumed me. Um, you know, I played sports in high school, but I found out quickly that it was interfering with the hunting. And uh, <laughs> I cut that out of the out of the way, and I just kept pursuing my passion and pursuing my dreams of, you know, looking for that next high-caliber animal. And it just, it, it really, it really kind of snowballed from there, and it, it really took off for me. And then mm-hmm. I found my passion with whitetails when I was about 17 years old. And uh, started hunting whitetails in eastern Colorado, and I said, man, I love this, so I got to do this a little bit more often. So I started branching out to Nebraska, Kansas, a little bit of hunting out in Illinois where I have some family, and uh, really pursued the whitetail side of it. When I say it consumed me, I mean, that's that's really – that's uh, saying it mildly. Um, I'm I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a I'm addicted to killing big whitetails. So, uh, <laughs> it's course, easy to do. Fun. Everything's on the menu, though. I like hunting big muleys. I like hunting elk. And I, you know, I've been trying to draw sheep for about 15 years in Colorado, but they don't want to give me a tag. So,
1: yeah, yeah, you got to probably another 15 years before you see one of those.
0: Probably, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that seems to be the case. <laughs> of course, somebody this year drew with half as many points as you know. Head, so,
1: that's just the way it is, man. I had a friend out here that drew with three points desert yep. bighorn sheep, the hardest tag to get. Yep. Yep.
0: Well, I don't know. I can't complain too much. So I'll be out in Arizona this year again, pursuing some big bull elk. So you win some, lose some, but that's kind of what Steve and I got into a few years back when we started our first show, when we had our first show out there on Sportsman Channel. And we realized, hey, we love to do this so much. And to cut back real quick, him and I are both police officers out here in Aurora, Colorado. So that's how we met up about uh, 10 years ago, started getting together and started doing some hunts together. And we said, you know what? We love to do this so much. The great state of Colorado is not going to give us the tags that we need or we want to be able to yeah. play as we want to play. So that's when we kind of branched out and started putting in for Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska, Arizona, Wyoming, Utah, you name it. We started dumping in. You know, the wives got angry. We were throwing way too much money at it. But yeah. say, I'm like, look, I'm going to get 99% of this money back. Nobody wants to give me a desert bighorn sheep tag. True. Right. Nobody wants to give me these awesome tags. So you know i say behind me is a great support of family and friends particularly my wife and uh, my my little kiddo who's you know his first time out turkey hunting he's 4 years old he's out with me sitting in a ground blind and nice. we have a bunch of come in and you know he's like daddy you going to shoot one i'm like yeah buddy it's not deer season but it's just yeah. it's it's so it runs so deep in you know so deep in in our family and i just i ran at it at a young age so that's uh we just keep pushing forward and keep looking to you know, keep moving forward and, and, and showing and, and giving that that knowledge and, and bringing the young ones into it as well.
1: Awesome. Steve, let's, uh, let's hear about you.
2: So, you know, I'm a native of Colorado. My family's been here for generations. Uh, started out in the outdoor industry or hunting and fishing when I was at a very young age. Also, uh, my family has a, uh, has always been in the cattle business. So uh, that kind of goes hand in hand with the outdoor side, with the cattle side, and uh, you know, I grew up with my grandfather and my father hunting, you know, and as a, as a little kid hunting small game out of the ranch and stuff like that. And that's kind of how I got into it, you know. And um, both my my or everyone in my family has always big game hunted. I mm-hmm. uh, kind of branched off into the waterfowl and the upland game and stuff like that. But our true passion is the the big game side of it, you know, and especially in Colorado here with the the big three, the antelope, the deer, and the, in the elk, you know, that's kind of our, our forte. Um, of course we've, I was lucky enough to get a moose last year. So that was uh, luck of the draw. Um, awesome. I, I'm the first one in my family to be able to, to get a moose. So that was kind of cool, but um, nice. as far as the out, outdoor industry side, you know, um, like Brant said, you know, we're both police officers by trade. Um, It's funny because there's so many people in this profession that call themselves professionals Mm -hmm. and uh, are professional hunters, whatever, whatever you want to say about that. But you know, there's very few professional hunters in this industry. in in my opinion, there's some very good hunters, guys that are very good at what they do, can give a lot to the industry, but a true professional hunter. um, We're definitely not professional hunters. Um, if we were we wouldn't be cops you know what I'm saying so yeah (laughs) uh, but like I said we're both police officers Uh, we got together we had the passion for the outdoors Um, obviously uh, him growing up in it me growing up into it and it was just uh, it was just something that's been in our blood for forever and it, you know it, it as you grow and you continue to succeed and get better and learn the trade better and stuff like that and, and how well you can succeed at it, you know, it just kind of keeps getting in your blood and that's what happened. And we teamed up and, like you say, we continue on just uh, trying to uh, fulfill our passion of uh, big game hunting throughout the uh, the country.
1: Awesome. So yeah, you guys uh, got together. You started the show together. The show is called uh, Fade to Black and. Just give me a quick synopsis of the show and, you know, guys who aren't watching it already could kind of check it out and see what's, uh, what it's all about.
0: Yeah, for sure. So pretty much the main message behind the show Fade to Black is we don't use guides and we don't use outfitters. It's all do-it-yourself hunting, either knocking on doors, public land hunting. Mm-hmm. And a big part of what we do in every single episode is we give a tactic for success. We understand that most viewers that watch our show and our big following through YouTube and over the years of having a show Mm -hmm. has been people that want to relate to how we hunt. You know, they don't have the tens of thousands of dollars to dump to a guide or an outfitter. They don't have the means necessary to do so, but they want to be able to go out there on their their track of land or wherever they're hunting, whether it's whitetails, elk, muleys, and they want to be able to harvest a good animal. So I just feel like when we put the show together in the beginning years ago, We decided, you know what? There's so many shows that are predominantly, you know, guides and outfitters and this and that. So, big money. Big money. So, we wanted to put together a show where we could still harvest top quality animals and still show the viewer and relate with the viewer how we're able to do that. So, we do Active for Success for the Animals. We're hunting in that episode. Um, It's a storyline based show. It's a fantastic show. That's my pitch for it. It's uh, a lot of family, (laughs) family, friends. You know, we have a blast doing it and it's all either public land hunting or knocking on doors, shaking hands, meeting landowners face to face. And, yeah, we get told no all the time. But, you know, as we'll talk about later, you know, I've killed some fantastic whitetails by knocking on doors, helping fixing fences, moving cattle, painting barns in exchange to hunt. And there's a lot of opportunity out there like that. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to put together a hunting show that relates with everyday day. guys and girls who want to go out there and still harvest the above average animal.
2: Awesome. You, we we get it. We get there. There is a side, uh, there is a spot for guys and outfitters through throughout the country. I mean, we get it. Some guys are making their living being guides and outfitters. We get that. Absolutely. Yeah, we get the guy that works, you know, 40, 60 hours a week and just doesn't have the time to do it. Like we're, we're doing, we get it that, 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 uh, those guys have to, or maybe have the ability to pay and need to do that to, to be successful. We get that, but what we've seen over the years is there there's so many people that want to harvest that mature animal, mm-hmm. um, and they want to just and have those, I guess you call it, bragging rights or whatever, and and all they'd have to do is throw out ten thousand dollars or or whatever mm-hmm. it may be to have a guide or an outfitter take them right to where that animal's been seen day after day, time after time. And then, you know, basically a glorified shooter. That's just not us. That's why we um, have tried to show the average guy and gal out there that works hard, how they can be successful without spending that big money. And, and honestly, I mean, our track record kind of speaks for itself. We can be just as if not better successful with these mature animals than going to a guiding outfitter. You really can on on your own public ground or, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, even if you have to pay for a small lease to be able to hunt on that mm-hmm. track of land and you do the conservation side of it right and the uh, habitat side of it, you can you can be just as successful at doing it that way than, than paying someone to take you by the hand to, the Shoot them right.
0: And a, well, a
1: jump, and ha- haven't been a guide myself, so I'm going to jump in there and working with a lot of guides. I guess it really all it all comes down to what your idea of what a guided hunt is. Sure. So those these guys that are guiding on public land that are really just creating opportunities for mm-hmm. for hunters. I think are getting rolled in to the same stigma, the same like black uh, cloud that's been hanging over uh, some of the stuff that you already described. Like they got some, not necessarily penned up, but they got this one animal picked out that they're they got a guy staked out on twenty four hours a day and he's watching them piss, sleep, eat, and shit. And yep. yeah, of course. You know, and those are giant money hunts. You know, they're paying fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars.
3: Sure.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. Those that I mean, I don't know if that has a place so much in the, in the industry. Now, as far as the regular guide that's you know taking you out to a spot and it's just like going out with a buddy that knows the area. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, okay, he might be feeding you whatever. This is just stuff that I think I, I just, I hate to see those guys get lumped in and they do. Um, and, and, and it's, it's terrible because they're not doing the killing and, and the guy that's going hunting with them. I've been on a few guided hunts, you know, in my life and I've never, ever said, Oh my God, this was like, well, except for maybe Texas, but <laughs> that's a different story altogether. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, it, if you still got to be a good hunter, you still got to apply woodsmanship. You still, it's not like this guy's like, you know, stalking the animal for you or whatever, at least not on any of the ones that I've been on, or at least not the way I've guided in the past. And I think a lot of people have this vision that if I'm going to go on a guided hunt, It's going to be like a slam dunk and it's going to be this easy peasy thing. I'm just going to walk out there. I'm going to pull out my rifle and bang and I'm going to be done. And I think it's important that the guys that are wanting to do it yourself and whatever don't have this view of it because coming up, I learned a lot from going with other outfitters and and going to different places or whatever and learning new ground and so on and so forth that you know, the learning curve is just so much greater if you employ somebody that's already done it. You know, if you don't have that buddy. And
2: I need need to preface this myself is, like you said, having the cattle ranch and stuff like that. I actually, from, from about 18 years old until about 24, I actually guided elk hunters. So I was that guide. But like you said, and that's why we're trying to say that that we understand the, the the side of the actual guide and outfitter and the guy that uses that where we're trying to i guess make that defining line is um, so many of these shows have turned into the professional hunter right paying the money to have the deer that's been shown yes okay. and that's what we're seeing.
1: yes no exactly and that's why i was trying to help maybe sure. clarify that because the whole guide thing, like I've, I've been dealing with this, not just obviously not in our conversation. I've been dealing with this on social media and in the podcast and stuff like that. And you see it all the time. like, you know, I want to be a do-it-yourself hunter and this and this so and that. And, and really, in, in all honesty, if everybody really takes a look at it, unless you are going slapping a pack on your back, hiking sure. into the backcountry by yourself, uh-huh. spending seven days out there, killing a bull elk hiking that son of a bitch back by yourself, that's do-it-yourself. But if you got buddies helping you, automatically, by default, that is not do-it-yourself. And, I mean, you want to be – I just – I don't know. I I feel like a lot of people are starting to look down their nose at, you know, guys that ask for help. I don't know. I just – I don't know. I like to stick up for the little guy, but that's just me.
0: And we and we and, and, and here's the thing we do. We take a lot of people out hunting young kids, um, people on the police department who they don't hunt, but their kids are interested in hunting and our wives and our kiddos and, you know, nephews, nieces, whoever wants to come along. We, we do lots right. of guests and we truly enjoy doing that. We're introducing them to the outdoors. We're helping them out. My feeling of it is, as the years have progressed, the guides and outfitters like Steve was talking about on television. have yeah. booked, And That's it's crazy. It's and and here's the thing, Steve. Those guys aren't probably paying to go hunt Hadley Creek. Okay, they're hunting Hadley Creek at a very discounted rate or free in exchange for advertising on Sportsman oh, yeah. Channel. So, you know, absolutely. I, I, the problem I have with it is a lot of people. Well, we we're trying to bridge the gap, right? We want to bring it back to everyday guys and girls who work hard, like Steve and I, who I can't afford ten thousand dollars on an elk hunt, Mm-mm. but I truly enjoy the hard work, the scouting, everything that really goes into a hunt. I mean, I'm scouting for Arizona and it's May and my season's not until December. And I'm addicted. I have a disease with it. Okay. I get that. But I put a lot of stuff in there to try to tip the favors in my odds. And I think what happens a lot of times is people who have a lot of money who go with guides and outfitters, like you said, want someone to basically hold their hand. Oh, there he is. They're circumventing the work. They're cutting around the work that is truly what a hunt is about, at least for me, at least for us, at least for most of people that follow us and a lot of people that I talk to at trade shows, wherever we are when we talk. And it's, you know, they feel disconnected when you're watching a show on TV and it's one after another, after another, after another. Most people, including myself, we see these television shows and we go, I can't do that. I don't What am I going to tell my wife? I'm taking eight thousand dollars and going to New Mexico. I'm going to go shoot a giant bull. Yeah, right. She'd laugh at me. Right. I can't. Do that. I don't have the means to do that. Now, there is a, a, a time and a place and, and a certain spot in the hunting industry, I believe, where guides and outfitters are necessary mm-hmm. and where they're needed. I just feel that a lot of people are using it as a way to circumvent hard work. I don't want to do right. scouting. I don't want to put in months and months of backbreaking labor and putting, you know, eyes on animals, setting trail cameras, you know, trips up to the mountains, you know, whatever is entailed. Buying maps, looking at maps, looking yeah. at Google. My eyes are falling out of my head. People don't want to do that. A lot of people don't. A lot of people right. who are signing up with these guys and outfitters, they don't want to – I feel I feel they don't want to do the thousand steps necessary to try to be successful, where mm-hmm. I do feel that a great number of people that are watching hunting shows and watching yes. podcasts and watching – you know, they want to learn. They want to learn the tactics that you're teaching. They want to learn the tactics that we put right. on our show. They want to see everyday guys and girls – go out there. Hey guys, today I'm looking at maps. It's May. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Oh, hey, it's July. I'm shooting, you know, I'm shooting my bow every day. Right. Getting ready. All right. And then the harvest, the storyline, how I got there, how we got there. And putting a mature animal on the ground. That is been my dream, that's been Steve's dream since we started this many years ago. Right. And I just feel like there's a lot of trying to cut around the work or a lot of people that are like, "Hey, I shot a 400-inch bull." Yeah, I paid $30,000 to go hunt Eastern Arizona, and I killed a 400-inch bull. It's like, that's fantastic. My sister could do that. She's killed one animal her whole life. You throw a gun in her hand and be like, hey, sis, I I got this hunt booked and paid for. All you got to do is follow this guy around, and when he tells you to (laughs) shoot, you know, that's where I feel the disconnect between ourselves and most other people watching shows and the select small percentage that can actually afford to do that stuff
2: yeah and, and like i said
0: as far as the outfitters are
2: concerned we get it and and like i said i was one i was a guide you obviously have done some guiding yourselves
3: mm-hmm. uh,
2: yourself so i mean we get it and and nothing against the true hardworking guide and outfitter that does that helps the client you know truly go on a hunt
3: it's, yeah it's
2: ones like i say that that are just the show up at this time, this deer is going to show up. It's a 165. You show up, you're a glorified shooter. Right. Our show, we've tried to push our show to have those tactics for success so that people can see what makes us successful. We can give them a tip that may help them circumvent all this other work getting to that tip to figure Mm -hmm. out where we can actually help with that. And that's why why, When we decided to do the show, we, we tried to do it as helpful as possible to everyone out there watching.
3: Cool. Well,
1: so I'm kind of glad we started off getting into this, uh, you know, the whole outfitter thing and whatever. I think what you guys are getting at is that there's a lot of people out there that are glorified shooters that will be like, look at me, look how awesome I am. Look at, I just shot this thing and, you know, pat me on the back. Let me get all the credit for it. And then and they may, and maybe not even giving credit to the outfitter that spent four months watching that animal so they can get it, you know, and, and I get it. So I feel like, I feel like if you're gonna, if you're gonna go out there and you're gonna shoot something big, that's fine then be proud of the fact that you're a good shot and that you are successful enough in your life that you could spend the money. But don't don't sell it as something different, I think, is what you're selling, what you guys numbers. are saying. Don't, don't sell mean. it as something different. And it, and you just actually ran into something Brent, very recently because you made a comment on one of Jim Shockey's posts and it kind of turned into something else. But go, go ahead and tell us a story about this because you – know,
0: it started out as seven or eight words, you know, and and I've watched Jim Shockey over the years, growing up as a little kid, and mm-hmm. his adventures are truly amazing, and I have respect for the guy, you know. We met him at the Shot Show, and, you know, great enough guy from what I know of the guy. Um, it, it's just exactly what you were just talking about. Tell it as it is. Be real with the people who are spending time out of their lives, and tell them how it is. So I see this post um, to go into it not too much, but basically it's a post. He's in New Zealand. He kills his whitetail. And he's going off about how he has to pack this deer, you know, few thousand feet in elevation, seven, eight miles back to camp, whatever it may be, it's this huge deal, which obviously it's that's that's you know, that's a lot of work. And he right. sells it that he's doing it. Well, in the picture with him are two very young and capable young guides. That are probably in their twenties. Right. So uh, when I read it, I chuckle to myself. I'm like, yeah, right. Like you're gonna Jim Shockey, the great Jim Shockey's gonna pack this deer out when you got two young dudes sitting right next to you. Who are your guys? <laughs> are, you, they're getting paid to take this deer off the hill. I get it. So all I simply said was, you know, no worries. Your guides will take them off, for, take them out for you, or pack them out for you. Guys will pack, pack them out for you. And it blew up into a storm. I tell you. Um. I, I didn't say anything disrespectful. I thought I was a little razzing between a couple hunters. But the big thing for me was, yeah. When I read it, I was chuckling. It was I was kind of funny. It's like tell it as it is. You're the great Jim Shockey. Hey, I killed this deer. Me and my guides are gonna pack it off the mountain. But when he sells it, that yeah. he's gonna do it, and you got two young twenty-something-year-old dudes sitting next to you, it, it just it just sparks that flame in you know. It's like really you, right. the dudes that you are or you know they're not gonna p- pack that deer out for you. So Anyway, it started out with seven or eight words. Like I said, I have the utmost respect for Jim Shockey, and it just it just snow snowballed and blew up into this big thing. And then, so yeah, it, 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 there was definitely people for the argument and against the argument, and uh, mm-hmm. some of the people that are you know really you know his minions that are close by that have <laughs> never met the guy or never right him a day in their life. Um, I seen some, some comments that were, <laughs> I mean, pretty embarrassing. I wouldn't write that stuff, but basically they wanted to live their life vicariously through Jim Shockey. And right. I just, and I, you know, you sit there and read that. It's like, man, go live your own dreams, you know? And these people that are jumping to his defense, like they've never even met the guy. So <laughs> when I'm reading it, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh brother. So I blew that off. Cause that's, just, you know how these internet wars start? Like, yeah, yeah. Go, I'd be typing right now. So. I just let it go. Um, Shocky and I talked back and forth a few times, sent some messages back. Everything smoothed over. It's cool. You know, but there were people on our side as well that were like, yeah, guides and outfitters are perpetuating this big problem. And I know personally, even myself, I've lost numerous properties from mm-hmm. handshakes and helping landowners and building rapport and building a friendship with landowners for five, ten years. Hey, Brent, I can't let you hunt anymore. Sorry. This is outfitted now. So or it's guy, you know, it's somebody's paying me ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Well, I have $10, 000, so boom, I lose a killer whitetail spot. I lose a good muley spot, whatever. So there were there's people on both sides of the argument, but it started with yeah. a little razzing, really nothing disrespectful right. in there, and it just it blew up. It, into It this
2: truly, thing. Uh, like you said, for what was said in in a joking fashion, just kind of razzing. Uh, boy, that someone uh really took it to heart, and and I was yeah. very that that got taken to heart like that you know especially the return comments on um you know you don't know what i've done in my life kind of stuff and i mean thinking to myself boy this is just a little razz and how did this turn into such a
0: a
1: so was it jim was it jim himself that immediately responded back
0: that's how it started so it was a day later all of a sudden my instagram my facebook is blowing up I'm like, geez, what? the show hasn't even started yet. It doesn't air until April 1st. And this is back in you know, late March. I'm like, wow, okay. So I'm looking them up. And it's just message after message. So, yes, what happened was Jim made a long reply back, basically mm-hmm. saying, you know, does this guy not know who I am, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, he researched us, found out who we were, what we do. And he invited me. Mm -hmm. to step up to the plate and say, how can we make things better? Well, of course, you know, as we're talking right now, I'm very passionate about it. So I put together a well-worded, you know, uh, email to him. And I said, well, a message back so everybody could see it. I'm not trying to hide behind anything. Mm -hmm. And I posted it. And, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, I'm not going to shy away. He wanted to know. He asked for my opinion on how we can work towards – Kind of cutting away from the whole world, turning into guides and outfitters and pushing all the little people away from hunting. So I gave him my two cents and I did it respectfully. And and, it was never a personal attack. And and, and ultimately what happened was, you know, him and I, we walked it. It's all washed over. It's all good. We're we're good. And, um, you know, I mean, he has his thing. I have my thing. I respect what he does. And it just but it definitely struck a chord. And I think, you know, I don't know, doing what we do being police officers, you know, we're kind of we kind of see through things a lot. And for him to wait a day and then reply back. And if the funniest thing really about it is a few days later, he killed another animal out there in New Zealand. And he actually put in there at Fade to Black. Hey, I am packing my animal out. And or no, the guy's packing my animal out. I'm packing out the video equipment, so it's a fair trade. And I'm like, yes, indeed, it is. But he's being real, and that was my big thing. Just be real. You're Jim Shockey. You're the great yeah. Jim Shockey. No one's gonna hold it against you if you say, hey, these two guys to my right, they're packing
3: Fuck my yeah. <laughs>
0: so that's it. And 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 that's all it was. So I mean, he, yeah. even days <laughs> later, it was still resonating through his mind, obviously, to say, hey, yeah. hey, at fade to black, you're right. The guides packing my animal out, but I am taking the the camera gear out. And I wrote back, "Yeah, it's a great deal. That's a great trade off." But initially, it started when I'm, you know, late night looking at Instagram, and I see the picture. I'm like, "Oh, good job for Jim." And he's putting it in there that he's got to pack this animal out. I'm like, "Yeah, right. right. Dude, you're not packing that animal out, right?" And he should be. He's got two young guides sitting and, right next and to and him. And like I
2: said, it
0: was yeah, a back
2: for Jim Shockey. I mean, he's a pioneer in the industry. You know, right? Awesome, awesome. You know. Uh, High respect for the guy, uh, right. but like you said, just uh, it seemed to have struck a chord, and, and, and things were taken a lot more personal he, than I would have ever thought. He
0: was sensitive to that <laughs> comment, but I personally yeah. think he was sensitive to the comment because there was truth to the comment. Right, he didn't that animal out? The guides packed right. it out. He was sensitive to it. He got called on it in front of his two hundred thousand followers. So then he, you know, replied yes. back with a, an article about this big. And, yeah uh, yeah so I mean everything's cool we fire we, oh, yeah. you know we, we well, watched but uh, anyway it was interesting how seven words literally on Instagram can turn the world upside down so
1: yeah, wow that's uh, that's that's social media for you and and I'm not saying that you guys are being negative, but anything that's got a little hint of negativity to it flies it, it oh, spreads yeah. oh. it oh, spreads yeah. like a virus. You know, anything that's got a little meat and juice to it, you know, people are going to, people love to argue. That's what it is. Oh, oh. People want to be heard. People love only to argue. We
0: know that. That's why so. the only the only messages written were between Jim and myself. I mean, it wasn't, yeah. because, like I said, there were people on both sides of the argument. There were people that were like, Hey, Jim, shock a hundred percent. I don't even live a life, but I live through you on your TV show. I was like, wow, man. Okay. You know, but then there were other guys that were like, you know, I mean, they seen both sides yeah. and it really started over something very, very trivial. But anyway, yeah. it's all good. It's smoothed over. And, uh,
3: yeah, it, right.
1: You're because, because you are Jim Shockey, because you are this icon and very well respected and looked up, don't feed us a line of bullshit. Simple. That's as that. what, my
0: thing. That was it. That was just, hey, Jim, you let's know, put it real. Come on.
1: Put it real. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. If, you know, I kill something and I got two of my friends with me or my cameraman's with me, he's going to carry some know. of that shit. I'll I don't give a this. crap because you're there. <laughs> I'm not
0: going to, you know. I'm with you 100%. <laughs> when you got a picture with two young 20-year-old dudes that are all smiles and thumbs up and grins. Yeah, let's work yeah. this out. Everyone, everyone's yeah, grabbing
2: seriously. a little.
3: Let's go.
1: Jim's right. 40 for you, 40 for you, 10 before. for me. That's <laughs> <Just> kidding. <laughs> i'll carry the head you guys carry everything else Uh that's right right. no but seriously i mean it's foolish it's foolish um i i've i've been that fool a couple times just out of pride and stupidity matter of fact i did that this this past year when i shot my sheep my buddy jake that was uh filling in for a cameraman for and as cameraman for me uh Made a comment like, "Okay, John's gonna turn me into a pack mule now." So by like, on principle, I packed out the whole sheep by myself just because he was being a dickhead. But um, <laughs> normally, I would definitely uh, share the load. Sure. So definitely, I mean, it's stupid. I mean, there's no reason that there's no reason why we shouldn't. but right, right. I'll
3: know, give the guy a couple straps if
1: they're something. willing. If they're willing to help, I'm 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 willing to take it. So yeah, that's my philosophy. <laughs> so. Anyway, but, um, so just cause I like to keep this uh, podcast educational, we're going to ask a couple of questions and well, real quick, just, just give me like a quick five minute, uh, about this, this giant buck you shot in, uh, it was in Kansas, right? Yeah.
0: Kansas, I saw the so.
1: video, but I was, I was like, I was just in awe about the freaking deer and didn't really oh, pay attention yeah, to where, where it was.
0: You, you and I both, um, you know, we hunt Kansas every year. Uh, we got a bunch, you know, a bunch of cool places that we hunt year after year, you know, the whole knocking on doors and, you know, relationships we've made over um, relationships and friendships we've made over the years. But pretty much to keep it short, we usually go out there around the 7th or 8th of November. I really love that time of year. We've kind oh, of, yeah. We kind of go out for two weeks out of, the, out of, the, you know, two weeks in a row and the, the girls are like, yeah, you got to nix that. Uh, you need right. to stick about a week. Um, so. Went out for a week, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th. Well, I had not seen a big shooter deer. And it was kind of, it was getting very frustrating. And when you watch the show, you'll see I'm getting frustrated. Um, The last day I'm there was the 13th. And I always do another trip where I come back post-peak rut, kind of on the backside of that bell curve. When most of those does have been bred, those big deer have to be up back up on their feet, cruising for those last hot esters does. So that was my mindset going in. The 13th, I'm sitting there. It's the last day I'm there. I'm going to plan to go back out on the 19th. And literally, it's it, the wind's blowing pretty good, and I'm in my – I call it the ace. It's one of my favorite spots. It is my actual well – now it's definitely my favorite spot. Right. And I, I just happened to look over my right shoulder, and out in the prairie, I just see a deer that's got – I mean, he came out of nowhere and I, out of my dreams, or even more so. Yeah. I mean, he pines and stuff blown out everywhere, mass like a bull elk would have. And I only seen him for about five seconds, and he was behind a hot doe. And I knew, I mean, he's 100 yards, you know, to the east of me. I knew there's zero chance I'm going to call this deer away from a hot doe. Right. And, you know, mouth open, he dogged the doe right over the hill, and he went into this this little cedars. And I basically waited there all day, knowing quite well that the chances he's going to come back, the only chance I have at that point is that doe brings him to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Otherwise,
0: I'm out of the game. So I sat there and I watched
1: Fondly. Exactly. So I
0: sat there, I watched the sun set <laughs> Fought
1: in distress, right there, buddy.
0: Oh, I was I was. I've never seen a deer like this (laughs) in my whole life. Okay, and I had to sit there for like another five hours till the sunset. And I'm sitting there, beautiful sunset. Never seen the deer again. And I climb out, my heart's broken because I realize I'm probably never going to see a deer that big again in my life. Okay, so I never no trail cam photos, and I'm I pride myself on doing lots of scouting, lots of trail cameras. Never had a single photo of this deer right actually hunting in there to kill i had about a mid 60s and a low 70s 10 and a big 12 in there and uh, that's what i was chasing they were showing up quite frequently and so i come out i'm bummed i'm bummed i'm happy that i seen that deer but i I didn't even get him on video i mean he he was in and out of my life in seconds but i knew he was the biggest deer i'd ever seen so i'm sitting there i'm shooting every day in my basement in my backyard i'm like if i see that deer i got to be spot on so the 19th i split out of work i head out As soon as I get out of work, I make the drive all night. Didn't even get a wink of sleep. I'm sitting in the stand all day. These are the grind days. You know, you're not going to see a lot of deer cruising because the little guys have not, you know, they kind of stopped. Um, The does are pretty much hunkered down. So if you're going to see a deer or a buck, it's probably going to be a pretty good deer when you start getting in the latter part of November. So pretty much set up in there. And um, I sat all day. You know, I'm I'm nodding off. I, I, I seen a few does come to the north of me and they bedded down. I'm like, Oh, right on. I got some girls, you know, they're going to help my game out today. So I set up and, uh, about three o'clock in the afternoon, three fifteen, I just heard some noise, the wind change. And that's one of my big things we'll talk about later if we have time, but hunting a wind change. And I knew the wind was going to change some point in the day. Cause I'm looking at, you know, the weather and it's supposed to change about a 90 degree wind shift. And sure enough, 10 minutes after that wind shift, I just hear, you know, leaves breaking, you know, cracking behind me. And I, I, I didn't even see the deer. Honestly, I, I I figured it was a buck at 3.30 in the afternoon cruising, but I I knew it was a deer. I just didn't know, was it a two-year-old, a four-year-old? I don't know. So I turned the camera on. I'm self-filming. Steve was back home here at work, grabbed my bow, and as soon as I hook up, I had to move the camera because I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to step like right at the base of my tree. And sure enough, when I, you know, after I hook up, I look down and and the biggest deer, the same
3: buck.
0: You know, it's like I could hear the, you know, the, the drama music in the background. I'm like, Oh my God. So I just drew instinctual. I let the arrow go. I mean, he was like 10 yards and he, he took off and he went about 40 yards and I can just barely see him looking back to the South in that cedar. And he, he just, and he tips one over one and I, over. Like, lost it, bro. Lost it. I mean,
3: <laughs>
1: he,
0: ended up, he ended up going a uh, 240 inch whitetail, 19 points. I mean, Jesus. by far, you know, the biggest deer I've ever seen. And, um, you know, just uh, blessed by God. You know, Absolutely, See a deer studded. like that, and then six days later, and I go back in there on the nineteenth in the dark, and I pull my card. I'm like, come on, I had two cameras right here. Nothing, no, he was not on there. I was like, oh man, that's a buck. He was living, my, you know, a couple miles from here. I'm never
1: destiny. There.
0: And the first deer I see the first day I'm back is this bruiser. So super blessed. Um, oh, you know, God. I, I truly believe I'm a, I'm a big religious guy. I believe in God beyond anything else. And you know, when you see things like that, it's hard not to, I mean, God wanted me to kill that deer and I stuck it out all day. I was about to fall out of the tree stand cause I was smoked. I was so tired and, uh, sure enough, instead, cause if you were to put that 160 in front of me, I'm killing that deer. Oh yeah. And, and for him to Who passes
1: back, up 160s, nobody, not this guy, not this guy.
0: And I, I don't pass. Way.
1: I have a hard time passing up 130s and 140s. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> right? yeah. yep.
0: And I had that 160 and that 170 showed up almost daily. You know, so I was waiting yeah. for the right wind to go in there to kill one of those deer. And, um, you know, the chances of seeing one of those two were great. Right. But instead of seeing him, I just see this mega trash buck. I mean, he, thing had like 54, 55 inches of mass. I mean, That's it, it was. Ugh,
2: it, yeah, I, I'm I'm at home working fall cattle, getting ready to ship them <laughs> off, and I get this phone call and. Uh, you know, it's half windy. He's talking really quiet. I think something's wrong, like something like fell out of the dang tree. I don't know what's going on. And I just hear him, you know, and he's like, I, I just killed the biggest deer in my life. And I'm, what? What? And he tells me about it. And I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I mean, like you That's said, incredible. seeing the deer several days prior and then that deer coming back under understand obviously he dropped that dough was looking for another hot dough and uh, unbelievable
0: and that's something we've been big into the last couple years and you know i know like you know with your podcast it's a big thing with like the informational and tactics and for people to learn And i'll say i mean it's one of my favorite secrets but um you know people want to watch and they want to learn something this is mine hunt latter part of november you're not going to see the number of deer cruising you're not going to see the two and three year olds who cares right you know you're going to see some giants in the last three years mm-hmm. i mean we've we've put down some really really big deer on that latter part of november mm-hmm. and we don't see the number of deer cruising but when we see a deer he's a buck he's normally a big mature deer so
1: yeah I remember was it last year or the year before you killed a buck called capone or something like that Yeah. That was,
0: well, that was yeah. a hundred and, hundred and nine, That was that was my biggest year. That was a hundred ninety six inch twelve. That was
1: a big. Su- he was a cool. I mean, that was a cool buck, man. And he's typical, right?
0: Yep, he was, clean. He, he never, yep. Yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. And that's a- the one time. I think that's the one time that a doe actually did me a favor because she sucked. She sucked by the stand mm-hmm. at about twenty four yards, and he was in tail. That's the only time that's actually ever worked for me. Usually they're going the other way. I'm like, oh, and I got to you know, dry my tears. But she gotcha. did me a favor. And we found his sheds that spring. And we had we had I, I had what, hundreds of trail cam photos of that deer Capone in two seasons. I mean, he lived there. That was his home. Right. So, um, you know, those are obvious. Right. Like so a-
1: so like give that. us a give us a tip. You were talking about the uh, hunt and the wind change. What What does that so, mean? And how do you set up for it?
0: So here's the thing, a lot of people associate, and you'll hear it even to this day, you'll read it in books, you'll read it in magazines, people swear that you know, midday, when you leave the woods, when hunters leave the woods, these big deer, they're so intelligent, they just know, okay, it's safe to move. Now, I don't believe it, and here's why. So over the last few years, I'm crazy addicted to this, like we talked about. I put down everything in the notes, and I really started to hone in on some information here. Deer don't walk around with a watch and say, Oh, it's noon. The hunters are going to grab grub. I'm good to move. Right. If you really look at the when 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 wind changes or weather changes, a lot of times that's around midday 10 a.m. to 2 or 3 p.m. That you know, you, things are changing, and it's something we learned. You know, it, it's it's something small, but it's huge. It's 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 one of those minor details that can lead into monster, monster results. And so, here's what it is basically. If you get a 90-degree wind shift, so if, you have, if you're hunting with a west wind and you get a south or a southeast or an east, 90 to 180, anywhere over that. Okay. So it's a substantial wind shift. Whitetails and all animals, really, they live by their noses. Whitetails particularly live and die by their noses. Right. They're all procreating at that time, and they're going to move, big deer are going to move when it's advantageous to do so. So that means a big deer is going to want to move with a the, with the fresh wind in his face. So he's not going to, most big deer are not pushing downwind into an area where they can't scent check does. You know, they're going to go into these big thickets like where we hunt where it's packed full of cedars. Literally, you watch these does circling these cedars and go lay down. If you're not hunting with your nose, you're not going to find them. So we started to pick up on this a little bit ago. Um, That's how I killed Capone. We had a wind change. The wind was blowing out of the southwest. It changed out of the north. 20 minutes after that wind change at 1030, I killed that deer. Granted, he was following a doe, but she was probably moving for for some reason, too. The deer I killed two years ago, same thing. We had a wind change, 90 degrees plus, and killed that deer. The big deer I killed, you know, last year, that 240, it was the exact same thing. I was hunting with a west-southwest wind. The wind turned straight out of the east. Fifteen minutes later, deer showed up. So I would say the best way to gauge for that is if you have a good spot and you know where you're wanting to set up at, Make sure you have the tree stand set. That's a whole nother topic. Tree stand set to accommodate for that wind that you're gonna hunt, and just look at the weather reports. I go to what you know we look at um, weather.com, weather. yeah, and, and basically look it up, and it'll tell you what the wind's gonna change. So when the, and it doesn't change every day. Some right. days you you know when we're hunting in Kansas, we'll get three, and that even makes it better. That. Definitely multiplies how good it's going to be. If you have two or three days of a south wind, south wind, south wind, and then, and then
1: all of a sudden it changes,
0: it changes. Get ready. It's going to be an open floodgate. Um, so big deer have to start moving through because it's, awesome. they only have a short window to do that. To, to you know, to procreate, to find those does, and and it's a rat race. These deer know. Hey, if I'm not up and moving when it's advantageous to do so, some two or three year old or some other buck's going to find that doe and breed her. Right. So it's something we've utilized a lot and i've noticed over the past few years that a lot of this is really taken an effect midday when people are giving the kudos like oh it's cuz the guy went to go grab a sandwich that big that big you know 170 deer got on his feet i don't think so i think no. the wind changed and it made sense for him to move and that's why he moved so if you can hunt the wind change plan ahead get in there an hour early before the wind changes that's what we do now Granted, sometimes we sit all day. November 19th, I seen a 240-inch deer six days earlier. I was sitting all day, you know. But not knowing that deer was there, I prob, you know, I, I might, I, I would probably set up on a different stand, waiting for that wind to change. But make right. sure you set up early because when it does open up, when that wind changes and you feel that change, I'm telling you, 20 minutes, it's on. They're coming through.
2: It, it truly is amazing. Like you say, we picked up on it. We saw it happening, and it just didn't click. Right, And then, you say, once we got back and started looking at some of the data that we collected over the years, it was like, how come every time there's a significant wind change...
1: You start seeing more deer.
2: Well, they're just moving um, noses. noses, for one, for security purposes, so they don't get killed by a predator, and for two, to check those does that are in the creek bottoms or or wherever they're moving to that they can they can sit check.
0: And the disclaimer is this, of course. I mean, yeah, are you going to have some one, two, three-year-old sure. bucks running up and down because they don't care because they've lost their mind? Yeah, you're going to have that. Of I'm course. I'm talking deer that have been around the game. They know how to play. They know how to look. You know how it is. I mean, these big deer move at the very moment those first does are cracking off. They're not moving two weeks earlier, running after does. That's what the two-year-olds are doing. They're bumping every right. doe. So yep. it's it's this this idea and this strategy that we've used, and we've been fortunate to kill a lot of great, great whitetails over the past few years. It's a small, minor detail that most people overlook. And I think, honestly, most people give it the wrong explanation they think it's because hunters aren't in the woods anymore and let me tell you big whitetails if they catch a whiff of you they're gone they don't care if you're grabbing lunch if you're if your scent trails there and they pick up on that or they smell you in your tree stand that's game over they don't care if it's noon midnight they don't care so i don't think it's that at all i honestly think it's a wind change i think these mm-hmm. people that are seeing these big deer that are cruising mid or latter part of the day they're hunting the wind change
3: cool
1: that's a good tip man i'm gonna have to add that to the repertoire Thanks, brother. For sure, I hunt all day, all the time, anyway. So I guess <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess I've been taking advantage of it. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly.
1: um, well, Steve, I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about elk since that's your forte, sure. and uh, you used to guide for him and whatnot. Um, why don't you uh, Why don't you give me three things that you attribute your consistent success to in elk well,
2: hunting? I would say, um, for me, I, am I'm, I'm a true bow hunter. I love to bow hunt elk. Um, it's kind of like hunting turkeys. I love hunting turkeys because to me, turkeys are the elk hunting of the birds. You know what I mean? I mean, right. that you can call them in and stuff like that. Um, I think number one is knowing, I will say this first for someone that's wanting to just get into hunting or is really not successful with bow hunting is number one, you got to know when to hunt and, and what you're after. Um, in Colorado here our elk hunting archery season is roughly about almost a full month So we'll, we'll just call it four weeks. You see a lot of guys get out their opening weekend They don't get into the elk. They don't go back again You see guys go mid midway through the season during the muzzleload season when the elk are starting to talk They see elk, but they're just not successful And then you see guys try to go at the end the elk have already been pressured and they're not successful. So I would tell you, number one is to be a successful archery elk hunter, you got to know when you want to hunt. I will tell you, in Colorado, over my 20-some-plus years of archery elk hunting, if you hunt early, the elk, majority of the time, are still in their bachelor groups or maybe just starting to pick up cows. Um, They're still kind of in their summer patterns. And they're a lot easier to do that spot and stock and, and get within that magic, you know, 100 yards kind of thing um, and then start calling. As far as hunting in the middle of the season, a couple weeks later, kind of when that load season here in Colorado is going, which is like around September, say, 9th through the 14th, the elk are really starting to make some noise at that point. And then uh, my suggestion to someone who wants to hunt that time is to – Know how to call and what calls to use. I'm a big, big uh, proponent of cow calls, um, as most true elk hunters are. But I don't give up my bugle either. You got to learn how to bugle and when to bugle and, and what sounds to make. But ultimately, the cow calls are what, in my my experience, really kind of bring those bulls in. And then towards the end of the season, it's kind of like we are talking well, uh, whitetails, kind of the backside of the bell curve. A lot of the elk are getting bred. You got those big herd bulls at that time. And they're kind of just circling, trying to keep their 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 cows together where all the other satellite bulls are kind of trying to take them. And at that point, um, I think that it's a combination of calling, spot and stalking, and then knowing how to get within that magical hundred to sixty yards and, you know, kind of working calls and, and trying to work in at that point. Like I said, that that's me as a bow hunter. So knowing when you you can hunt, because most people can't hunt all month long, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: know what you're wanting to go after, have your game plan put together for that particular time of the rut, and, uh, you know, just hunt hard. And and then, of course, do your research and know where a good number of elk are, a huntable number of elk. I mean, in Colorado, you know, we have the White River National Forest, which has some ridiculous amount, you know, 200,000 elk or something crazy like that. But the White River National Forest is also like, you know, 400 square miles. So just because right. you have elk doesn't mean that you're hunting in the right area. So you have to be able to research and do your scouting. You know, go go use your use your resources that are available through the Divisional Wildlife in your area and, and the hunt planners or the biologists or, or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So me as a, as a bow hunter, I would tell you that just knowing how and when to hunt and where to hunt to make yourself successful
1: what's uh what's your go to call you said you like um cow calling what do, what do you you tend to use estrus or are you kind of a just a, you know I, communications I, or gathering I, or?
2: I, uh, I do use estrus calls uh i think a diaphragm, for me a diaphragm call is my go to and uh and i am i'm a very um, light caller I'm very, very quiet on my calls. I do some mm-hmm. calf calls, and um, every once in a while I use semesters calls. But for me, a diaphragm and just those uh, soft, su- uh, you know, easygoing kind of sensual calls is what I use. And, and, and mainly when I'm in that 60 yards to the bull, um, it seems to be like there's a, a magic circle around that right. bull hundred yards you can get some some responses but boy you get within that 60 even 40 yards I, I mean it, it, I get it's,
1: within 60 yards I'm sending an arrow <laughs> yeah.
2: they're, they're losing, they're that's
1: just their me minds at
2: sixty yards if you're doing everything right you break that 60 yard mark they're losing their minds and they're gonna come they're gonna come investigate
1: <laughs> i'm I'm sending a meat missile after him <laughs> at sixty uh, I like yards when, I, I don't uh I'm not one of those guys, once I know I'm in range that I can make a shot that's ethical, in my opinion, I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> I don't try to get closer or try to right. get them closer. It's the
0: first good opportunity that you have. It's me. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But I'm with you. The You know, at 60 yards, I'd be letting out some calls too, but after the arrow hits, I'm trying to slow them down so I don't have to blood trail for a mile.
3: Exactly. <laughs> Oh, cool.
1: so,
0: and then, you know, and I, I will
2: say this one tip about elk hunting is uh, over the years, uh, especially here in Colorado, our elk hunting has changed so much. It used to be, you know, throwing calls out there, walking through the woods, trying to get something to answer back. I will tell you what makes us probably the most successful is just glassing. You can, uh, I mean, glass, 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 move, glass, move, glass. Once you find those elk. Mm -hmm. Um, if they're not bumped they're really not going to go very far and then you can put your game plan together and then once you get a good game plan together then then start moving in Um, but walking through the woods just doing calls and bugles and stuff like that uh, to me it's a waste of time it's a waste of effort It, it can be successful i'm not saying it can't be but for us the more you you glass and you find those pockets of elk at least you have a goal to go after.
0: I I remember yeah. reading an article a long time ago. It was Chuck Adams, and uh, you know he talked about how he didn't really call a lot. What he would do is he would glass and spend a lot of time following an elk herd or following a big shooter bull. And he would try to pattern kind of where he would show up. You know, what, how was he getting from feed to bed or bed to feed? And, and and Chuck would actually slide in on that bull after he had a pretty good you know pretty good handle on that bull. And that's right. how he killed a lot of his elk. And that article was talking about. I don't really call a whole lot. Yeah. You know, what I do is I, I observe, I observe, I observe, I observe. And when I figure out roughly what they're doing, I'm going to put myself with the wind in my face and I'm going to let that herd push through me and I'm going to kill that bull because mm-hmm. you go in screaming at a big old bull and he's got his cows. Why, why go fight when you can take your 20 lovers and go up over the hill? Right. So I don't, I, I'm with Steve a lot on that whole glass, glass, glass. You know, that's, I'll give up an, a morning hunt. I'll give up an evening hunt to get some recon done. I'll throw up the spotter. And, um, you know, that's another thing we love to do. We put a lot of, a lot of time behind the glass and we find a good animal. And, uh, that's what I'm doing in your neck of the woods out there in Arizona and hopefully come home with some, some bone in the back of the truck. But,
1: Oh, you guys will get it done. That's a good unit. Yeah, that's a good unit. Even for a late season hunt. Well, cool, man. That's, uh, guys, I appreciate you coming on. It's all I got for you as far as questions. And, uh I think uh, you know we uh, the message is clear what we were trying to get at, and uh, we're not trying to put anybody down that uses outfitters and stuff like that. We're just if you're going to be that guy that goes for the you know fifteen thirty thousand dollar hunt that's uh, you know killing a giant bull, kudos to you. But don't try to sell it to the public like you're. You did it on your own or, or whatever. Just it's just, just
0: be honest and be real. Be
1: what, be what it is. It is yep. what it is. Cool. Well, I look forward to seeing what you guys come up with this year. Uh, it's going to yep. be kind of hard to top a 240 uh, whitetail, <laughs> man.
0: I keep telling you can do it. Ah, yeah, I don't know about that. But you know what? We're going to go in there and we're going to grind and we're going to stay what we're doing. And we'll keep pursuing that magical 200 mark. Will I ever see a deer that big? Probably not. But no, you never know. Maybe so.
1: Exactly any given sunday <laughs>
2: I, and i just want to say one thing you know we just want to give a special shout out to the first responders the men and women out there you know the fire department the emts the police officers we know what you go through we do it uh, and also our us military thank you guys so much we greatly appreciate what you do god bless amen, so amen. thank you
0: well put and also our wives and uh, our families who you know put up with us we got to take yeah. time away Working. we'll never
1: watch we'll never listen or watch this podcast so they'll never know how appreciative you are
0: i'll make sure i just put this part on it so you know <laughs>
1: just take there. this clip right here take this yeah. clip and put it on instagram so she'll see it
0: right.
1: <laughs> hey guys thanks for checking out the show really appreciate you keep those reviews and those comments coming helps us keep this free Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word,
2: and check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.